0: missed us? Because we missed y'all too. <laughs> it's running with war. Normally, Kyle will be taking over the show. Shout out to Kyle, who is our, our co-founder, lead editor, all the above. But this time, he's, he's allowing me to run the show, so y'all stuck with me. It's your boy Joshua M. Hicks, who is also the co-host of scope Check it out every week, every Friday of war media and also check out a very awesome co-host for this specific episode of running with war and drew the one and only and we have a special guest ricky o'donnell who's been a a guest and friend of the show as always appreciate you having having him on and we got a lot to talk about because you know this is a we are a basketball a basketball group this is a basketball show but overall it is chicago so we gotta hope. Help, help, we gotta talk about all things Chicago when it comes to hoops. But let's start off just for now. Just for now, let's talk about the NBA as a whole. Because the NBA as a whole, we like we talked about earlier, it's like two K every year now. Like you always playing some type of big trade. You always have some type of big free agent acquisition. Something always goes down to where you you pretty much if you were a kid playing two K and you wanted to stack your team, we found the best ways to do so through two K. Now it's reality. Um, there's a reality. There's a whole bunch of trades that went down. You had CP3 trade that went down. The fiasco in Houston when you want to talk about James Harden wanting out to go team up with the big two over in Brooklyn, uh, and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And aside from that, you want Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook to lead. And as of right now, dude's gone. He's a wizard. And... The cra- and the, I think I don't know if the trade itself is more crazy because the trade was a pretty much a superstar for a superstar with Westbrook being traded for John Wall, but let's start with that. Let's start with that trade, because even though it's a superstar for a superstar and some people may look at it and be like okay cool just a, a superstar swap but for Houston's pers- uh, sake for me, I think this is actually a big time move for Houston because of the fact that you got Boogie Cousins there. Now that you got Boogie Cousins as your big man who always wanted to play with John Wall since they, just like they did back in the Kentucky days. If he can stay healthy, John Wall is as healthy as, as, and is, is on point as many people are saying that it is. I don't know, you talking about a nice, you know, a, ni- a nice combination between John Wall and Boogie Cousins with James Harden as your other, as the primary guy. That's that. That can keep you at least in the loop in the Western Conference. You know, it'll keep you afloat a little bit. So, I think that's. I think if anything, this really helps out Boogie Cousins. But let's start off with Drew. What do you? What did? You, what was your thoughts when you initially heard the breaking news? You know, of John Wall being traded to the Rockets for Russell Westbrook, and how does you? How do you think um, both players can really benefit from this trade?
1: So I think I could probably speak for a lot of us when I say that when that trade first came across, it was it was surprising, but then again it wasn't because we've heard a lot of uh talk about those two players and, and how they might get on, might be on the move. Um my other thought was, you know, if Wall can stay healthy, and that's the big if considering the last couple of years, um, he could I think he could make a difference for them, uh being more so his first gear, I think, is to facilitate more so than Westbrook. Um and that could play into James Harden's favor as well as Boogie Cousins. Again, if he can stay healthy too. Um, then on the flip side of it, uh, with with Washington, just seeing how the dynamic between him and Bill works, um, what it is they may have in store. If this is the only move that they're going to make, or is this something you know, kind of a domino effect of, of things to come? I don't know that this puts Washington much higher than they may have already, you know, be, been prospected to get to. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. I think it, it'll have a bigger short-term impact on Houston and what they can do. Um, again, the big if is, is Wall and, and DeMarcus Cousins staying healthy. I know they, they picked up Christian Wood, too, when people are really high on him. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, man. But it looks right now to be a win for, I would say more so for Houston.
0: Ricky, you know, give us your thoughts on that – what that trade could potentially mean for, you know, for both teams. And how, especially when you're talking about, like you mentioned, John Wall, who came off these two egregious injuries of an ACL tear and an Achilles, like he hasn't played full basketball in about two years. It's like, so how does this trade for him affect him? Not just physically, as we try to figure out what his game is going to be like and how much in shape he's is he, he's going to be in and his actual skill set himself, but also his mental health. Like, could this actually benefit him mentally? coming from a situation in Washington where it was really up in the air for a while trying to figure out if they even wanted to keep him because he signed that big contract. And there's no guarantee that, you know, he's going to come back to becoming the John Wall that they expected him to be. Do you think this trade for his sake really could, really could benefit John Wall mentally as he takes, you know, takes on this next chapter?
2: Yeah. It should be way less pressure on him, right? Like he was the number one overall draft pick, the homegrown star signed the big contract, like you said, and, Uh, You know, it should be noted, he absolutely deserved that deal. I mean, he was one of the best players in the league. They gave him the big deal. That's why those big deals exist, to stop your homegrown superstars from going to L.A. or going to New York. So he absolutely deserved that deal. He uh, is for sure one of the best point guards of our generation, I would say. Uh, But he hasn't played since late 2018. So it's like the guy's just hasn't played a basketball game in, you know, a year or multiple years at this point. So two years, I guess. Uh, And it's crazy. Like, I don't really know how his game is going to age. I do think it's interesting for sure. Like I totally agree with what Drew said about how he's more of a natural facilitator that probably works well next to Harden. The way the Rockets have played the last few years is they just put shooters around Harden and let everyone else like be a spot up threat around the perimeter while Harden did his one-on-one thing. I'm very interested to see if that's going to continue. Are they going to try to use Harden more like off ball now and let Wall run the show? I think that could be pretty interesting. And from Washington's perspective, I kind of like it. I think that they included a first round pick in it a 2023 protected first rounder. So we don't know what the protections yet are on that pick, but I think there's probably a pretty good chance that Westbrook still has a decent amount left in the tank. He was pretty solid during the last regular season. Uh, then the bubble hit, he had COVID and he wasn't very good in the bubble. But I don't really want to judge his last season strictly on what he did in the bubble because, uh, because he had the, the virus and, you know, over the course of a longer period of time during the regular season, he was pretty solid. So I look at all the shooters that Washington has. You got Bradley Beal, one of the best shooters in terms of two guards in the league. Uh, you got Bertrands, who is just an absolute sniper. He's one of the best pure shooters in basketball. So I, I feel like the best way to maximize Westbrook is to just put him around a lot of shooters and let Westbrook, you know, not feel any pressure, to take outside shots, just let him be able to operate in the paint, kick out to the perimeter. Uh, so I kind of like it for Washington is my initial response, but we'll see what the protections are on that pick and Yeah, it's just it's a wild trade. Like if we if someone would have told us this three years ago or four years ago or something, we would have been like, wow, that's got to be like one of the biggest NBA trades ever. Right. And now I see it and I'm like, that's just like kind of a depressing trade. It's like two guys who are on the downhill of their careers. And yeah, I mean, you know, Wall obviously you can't blame him, he had the horrific Achilles injury, super tough for anyone to come back from. Russ, I feel like a lot of the, he, the criticism he gets, I feel like is a little bit overblown, but certainly it is also coming from somewhere. Like there's a lot of merit to it as well. So uh, crazy trade. And, uh, you know, you, you just can't be surprised at any of these deals in the NBA anymore. It seems like at any point uh, superstars can change teams and these big trades can happen.
0: Yeah, that's that's very good points, Ricky, and I also think this trade benefits to Washington because of the fact that you know Russell Russell played with Scott with uh, Scott Brooks, who's the head coach over there. That relationship is still there, and for them two to have, you know, at the time a good rapport, you know, even before he was fired, you know, they, it seemed like he had a pretty good rapport with uh, Scott Brooks. So for that for that to you know be re, re, for that reunion to happen, could be a much more ideal situation for Westbrook than we think. But we got our man, Chris. We got C Breezy on here, man. Chris Pennant. Chris Chris Pennant from one of the Running With War guys. Rocking the Joe Kim Noah. <laughs>
3: Had to do it, man.
0: I feel you, man. I feel you. We're going gonna, to gonna touch on the Chicago legend in a second. But right now, we're talking about the the blockbuster trade that just went down between West and Westbrook being traded to the Washington Wizards for... John Wall and the first, and like Ricky mentioned, a 2023, 20, I believe, first round pick. Um, Chris, talk about what how, how basically who, who do you think one would win this trade? I think it's kind of even, depending on if the situations are right. But at the same time, you know, Drew and Ricky brought up great points regarding, you know, the health of John Wall, but how it can benefit him, especially with this relationship with Boogie Cousins. You, you're talking about. You know, Russell Westbrook has with Scott Brooks and how if you put shooters around him, you know, you can maybe get more out. You can maximize more out of Russell Westbrook because he doesn't have to do too much, especially with Bill there. I mean, what are your thoughts on this whole on this whole blockbuster trade thing? Because, you know, the NBA keeps giving on fireworks uh, every every offseason.
3: Well, first and foremost, I'm not going to buy into the usual uh, the typical analysis of win loss. Right. Like you said, Josh, I think this this trade is going to pretty much even out for both of these teams. Partially because they are, I, I would put them poss- it, it, right around the middle of contention for their respective conferences. Um, the Nets and Bucks are still better than the Wizards. Um, there's the, the Heat, I think, are still even better than the Wizards after this trade which I know is kind of iffy with with their team. They're a good sum of parts in Miami, but nobody would really see them outside of Jimmy Butler as like a, a superstar, a downhill running, you know, a train running downhill. But I think those three teams at the very least are better than the Wizards still. But I like putting Russ back uh, next to Scott Brooks again. Um, and I, I, it's, it's odd to say, but I like putting him next to Bradley Beal if only because no matter what everybody said, that wall beal relationship was just so tortured, if not forever fractured. There was really no coalescing again for them. Uh, it's, it's gonna be difficult for Washington. Washington, I think has been in kind of a tailspin since KD went to free agency and everybody was hoping that he would come back to his, his home base around Rockville and he didn't. And they've been trying to kind of figure out where they can, how they can move forward best and they haven't gotten to that point yet. We've just gotten a, a few great all-star shooting campaigns from Bradley Beal and not much else. So I think this is going to help Washington if for no other reason to give them more offensive punch. And hopefully Scott Brooks can, can stabilize Russ to the point where he, he's, he's away from having to shine again. He's, he's, he's not a binary star anymore with Harden. He's working with Bradley Beal. And I think that he can use his passing skill set and ability to take over a game, with facilitation when he wants to, in a better capacity. This is just you know my my thoughts of what I would hope to happen. On the Houston side, it gets Wall out of uh, out of Washington, out of that organization, not the city. It was great, I think, in the city, but not with for the organization. And the Rockets are just kind of treading water, while they while they uh, pick up the pieces from their super analytics era with Daryl Morey being gone. So I don't think anybody wins the trade. I think it's, it's, I think it's pretty even for both of them. Time will tell if it's good. You know, we, it, it happened, what, hours ago? So we can't even, nobody in their right mind can actually tell you if this is a good or bad trade yet. <laughs> and anybody who does, anybody who says that to you, I think is lying or they have the highest opinion of themselves. But I think it's something that we're, we're really going to have to wait and see on, because like Ricky said, we're still waiting for John Wall to come back to 75 or 80 percent of what he once was after that Achilles injury. And we don't know if that's his if that's his best or if that is greater than what he can hope to be going forward. So we don't know. It's, it's really hard to say. We don't know. I think it, in, the, in the short term, it's good to get those two guys out of situations that they didn't want to be in. And I think that they, both of those players provide something for their teams that they didn't really have.
0: That's true. That's true, Chris. And you want to talk about scenarios where, you know, other people are switching places. Yeah, you know, Chris Paul, he got traded traded to Phoenix. He left OKC to get traded to the Phoenix Suns. And that trade was a big trade because, you know, Oklahoma City continues to wield and deal and have all these picks for the next decade. So they may have the best all, young, young all-star team out there uh, for their future. But at the same time, Phoenix got a veteran point guard that not only can elevate help elevate Devin Booker in backcourt, but you want to talk about that pick and roll with DeAndre Aiden. I think that's where DeAndre Aiden is really going to thrive this year under Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul's leader, leadership, and his point guard savviness to get deandre aiden in the right spots for him to flourish i think is going to be the biggest win for phoenix especially since you know free agency wise it's hard to get superstars to go over there and my and that team is on the rise behind the leadership of you know head coach monty williams i mean drew chris ball you know as a as an old veteran guy in, in the league he's he's still collecting his big checks but How much of a benefit will this new team, in your opinion, really not just benefit Devin Booker, but even Chris Paul himself, like how can he truly benefit from this new environment that you can argue argue was pretty much like, okay, see what we from the beginning of the season, but everybody else thought was they may or may not make the playoffs, but there's some talent there. So how do you feel that Chris Paul can really elevate this, this Phoenix Suns team?
1: Sorry guys. <laughs> um, no, I was just saying, um I, I think that for the for the Phoenix Suns, it's 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 a re reinvigoration of energy. I think for the first time since Devin Booker has got there, has been there, you know, they're not just gonna be rolling the ball out and 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 you know, hoping on a wishing and a, a prayer and a star, man. Like they actually got somebody that can run the show, that can get guys in the right spots. Um potentially uh, make life so much easier for Devin Booker. Um, they should definitely be in the playoff conversation. Uh, I doubt that they're going to be seriously contending for a championship because the West is just, it is what it is, man. I mean, the Lakers are what they are and they've made so many uh, great moves um, in this offseason to even to improve their roster even more. But, it's just confidence. I think it's just confidence um, to actually be playing for something um, that I don't think they've been able to, you know, recently. Um, And I I, want to see that's going to do. That that should work wonders for them. Like you said, everybody's game should be ratcheted up a notch. Chris Paul is an awesome leader. He's one of those guys that's not going to let you uh, play down to your potential. He's going to bring hopefully the best out of everybody around him. Um, and they should be competing, like I said, for for a playoff spot, for sure.
0: Yeah, Phoenix was uh, F- Phoenix really showed a lot of promise, at least in the bubble, going undefeated in the bubble. Uh, Devin Booker really showed that he could elevate his game to the next level, especially when it comes to facilitating for others. And, you know, like you said, having Chris Paul, seeing what he did, not just uh, not just with that team as a whole, but really specifically Shea Gilchrist-Alexander to elevate his game um, and that backcourt to where now the team is ready to build around Shea Gilgers. Um That's that's something that I think Chris Park really add to the team. But I want to switch over, Ricky, to another big trade that went down this offseason, season, um, which was Drew Holiday going to the Bucks. Um, Milwaukee's trying to do everything that everything that they can to make sure that Giannis, you know, stays in Milwaukee. <laughs> Chris, you something else, but um. Anyways, like to, to be, I don't think it's enough. I doubt they did enough to, to keep Giannis there. Um, if I'm Giannis, I'm not signing that max extension. I'm exploring all my options. Um, but what is this? But what could these trades mean, you know, for Milwaukee as you talk about? Because from Milwaukee, obviously, it was whenever you have Giannis on your team, it's technically it's t- it's t- it's t- title or blessed. But at the same time, Bucks can't even think title of bust at this point. They got to think just past the first or second round, especially after last season where they to lose to Miami Heat the way that they did. So has it, talk about how beneficial this trade is for the Milwaukee Bucks? and where do you, where do you see this really taking them uh, for this upcoming season? Yeah, well, Drew Holiday is awesome. Really good
2: player. He's not like a superstar, I wouldn't say, but he's like a very impactful role player because he brings it on both ends. His point of attack defense is really good offensively he can hit threes and he can get to the rim so I think like if you look at the guards the Bucs had last year with Bledsoe who is pretty brutal in the playoffs Bledsoe is a really good regular season player I always thought but in the playoffs like his lack of shooting really came under a harsh spotlight so I think he's a Holiday's is a huge upgrade over what the Bucs had last year in the backcourt the problem with the Bucks is that their Bogdanovich move fell apart, and I loved the idea of pairing those two guys together, Holiday and Bogdanovich, because then you're just sort of, like, all in on this super awesome starting five, you massively upgraded both backcourt spots, but I guess, like, the Bucks just jumped the gun announcing the Bogdanovich deal, he ends up landing in Atlanta in free agency, who offered him more money, uh, so... I feel like the, Bogdan- the inability to actually land Bogdanovich is really going to hold them back. I'm totally with you that the Bucks have championship bust expectations, but that, you know, they still got to prove they can get past the upper echelon of the East before we're talking about them as a title favorite. I would like to see them fire Budenholzer, who I know is a great regular season coach, but I thought, like, his inability to adjust during the postseason – was just a real killer for that team. I thought like potentially they could have gotten back in that series with some easy coaching adjustments. Uh, so then, you know, the big question is how does it affect Giannis? Because the Bucks traded away all these future draft picks to get Drew Holiday. They traded three future first rounders and two pick swaps, which is like in ridiculous amount to give up for Drew Holiday. But you, the thinking is that, well, if it gets Giannis to stay, then obviously it's a great move. Giannis is a a once-in-a-generation player. You do everything you can to keep him. I would agree with what Josh said, that I do not think Giannis should sign that deal. But if I'm Giannis, I would actually do, and I haven't seen anyone talk about this, so I'm not really sure if there's like a CBA rule preventing it or something. But I would sign the shorter deal that LeBron signed, Kevin Durant signed, and Kawhi Leonard signed. Like when those guys were going up to free agency, no one ever said, yeah, they should sign the supermax, five years, lock it in. Uh, Instead, what they did is they took two year deals with player options. And I think that would probably be really beneficial for Giannis for one, because it would just get the heat of free agency off his back this year. Uh, You know, just sign a one or two year extension. Don't sign the full boat say, yeah, I'm going to be here for the next year next two years. And let's be honest. Giannis is all the power Giannis is by himself more valuable than everything else associated with that team so if i'm honest i want to keep the team in the palm of my hand i want to continue to pressure them to improve and if it gets to a point like you know you look at the Bucks supporting cast drew holiday has got a couple good years left i think but he is 30 middleton is like 29 i think at his peak right now for sure uh brooke lopez is what like 33 or something they have no more draft picks they just traded them all they don't have any salary cap space. They don't have any good young players, really. So if I'm Giannis, like, why would I want to stay five years there? But I do think there's a benefit to just being like, I'll sign a one or two year extension. I'll take the heat off everyone's back coming into this season. And then we'll figure it out from there. So uh, I'm with you that I, I don't really think that the Bucs, like, I'm not going to pick the Bucks to win the title. It would be. I would love to see them come out of the East. I was rooting for them last year. It would be a great story. I'd love to see Giannis do it, but uh, they still got some holes in their team, no doubt. Not landing back down in And Yeah, I think Giannis's best move is keeping his options
0: open. That's a, that's a smart idea for Giannis to actually get that maybe one or two year extension, get the max out of that one or two one or two years, and just and put pressure on that team. I mean, like you mentioned, LeBron has has is the king. Of doing that, to be honest with you, and you want to talk about LeBron? He's over here being real happy right now in LA because one because of their offseason moves, which includes a trade to get Dennis Schroeder to the Lakers from Oklahoma City. I thought that was a very underrated move for them. And Chris, r- real briefly before we, you know, end this segment, um, talk about how this specific trade for the Lakers really benefits them, especially with them losing Rajon Rondo to free agency. I thought Dennis Schroeder was younger. I thought he, um, he shows that he can play off the ball, which is huge with, with LeBron handling the ball as much as he is within this offense. And at the same time, he can, he can score in, in any way you want. He's improved his three-point shooting as well as the ability to get to the basket at uh, any time. And he's a dog. He has that aggressive defensive mentality. So talk about how much of a trade, even though it wasn't talked about a lot, but it's, I think this was a very impactful trade for the Lakers to make if they want to, since they're going after this repeat.
3: Yeah, Schroeder's been a nice young player for a long time. I think he's what we thought, or at least what I thought Reggie Jackson could have been. And it's it was a very interesting parallel since they were both on uh, the Thunder about the same time. But Schroeder, when Schroeder went to Atlanta, uh, coming off the heels of their Spurs East uh, tenure was, I think, when he started to really come out of his shell as more than what he was, which was a speed demon who could, you know, make his way down the lane, get to the rim, distribute the ball fairly nicely. Like you said, Josh, he's a dog. I, I think there's still the lingering idea that European players are still somewhat soft from like the seventies and eighties. And so he disproved that he's played through injury. He's put up nice numbers pretty much wherever he's gone. And he's been a good um, point guard who can start, can come off the bench. At about the And he's g- going to give you about the same. He's going to be about the same af- level of effectiveness. So bringing him in isn't going to, I, th- I think he is, he also, I think, gets along a little bit better than Rondo does. Uh, with, with a LeBron-led team, getting along really isn't an issue unless you're a guy who has the potential to be a superstar or was a superstar or is a superstar. So then you have some friction with guys like Kyrie and, and Kevin Love. Shooter isn't that guy. He's a cog that's going to fit into that machine. And like you said, all of the stats show you exactly what he's going to bring to the table for Los Angeles. So with he's not going to replace Rajon Rondo, even at this stage of his career, I think. He'll give you something different, but he won't give you the same. When you have two guys with the level of passing IQ as LeBron and Rondo on the same team, it's, just, it's hard to replace that. It's hard to find another guy who's going to give you that level of distribution and passing in terms of um, making your offense that much more difficult to defend. But Schroeder is going to give you a consistent presence you, um, at the free throw line. You won't be able to foul him late in games. You're going to have to check him on the perimeter because he can either shoot or get around you to the rim. And it's, it's pretty simple. He's, he's a good guy to add. It's, it's a very good under-the-radar uh, move.
0: Yes, under Laredo, but he's going to have a handful if he thinks he's going to be the starting point guard, like you said. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how you're going to be a starting point guard and, and expect LeBron not to be running the show over there. But, hey, like that's that's LeBron's th- uh, situation to figure out. So we hope that, you know, Dennis Rutter doesn't cause too much chaos coming up in there trying to take over that point guard spot. Because, you know, because we all know, Le- it's LeBron's show over there.
3: Well, I I think he's the guy he's been around long enough to know who he is. Like he um, he fed off Russ when he was in Oklahoma City with Russ and getting into that little feud with Damian Lillard. But he's not a guy who's trying to take all of the limelight at once. Right. We haven't seen anything like that from Dennis Schroeder to this point. And he's at least five or six years deep into the league. So I don't think we're going to see it. It's got to be more than that. Was it seven, seven years?
2: Yeah, he was in the 14 draft, I think. One thing that's interesting about Schroeder is that he was on the Thunder last year, and they played a bunch of three-guard lineups with CP3, Shea, and Schroeder. You don't really see NBA teams do, like, three-point guard lineups like that, but they were awesome. They would, like, run everyone off the floor. They just had a lot of guys who could shoot, pass, and dribble. You know, you don't get that level of creation ability with three different guys on the floor on your team very often. And by the numbers, at one point last season, they were the best three-man combination in the league playing together in terms of, like, net rating. So I think that Schroeder is going to be pretty interesting in L.A. because uh, he's not like a point – he's a point guard, but he's not like a point guard who's going to be, like, a main facilitator, run the show. Like, LeBron led the league in assists last year. So LeBron's still going to be running the show. But I feel like Schroeder gives you just a little bit more – off the dribble scoring ability than Rondo. But as Chris correctly noted, obviously he's not giving you quite as much passing or basketball IQ. Uh, but I really like the Lakers moves this offseason. Like full disclosure last year, I was a total hater of the Lakers. I picked them to lose to the Clippers in the conference finals. At the start of the year, I was like really down on the Lakers too. So I was doubting them the entire year. They totally proved me wrong. I was going to pick them to win the title this year regardless of what happened because they proved me so wrong last year. Uh, And I think they only got better. So it'll be interesting to see, like, you know, everyone was really clowning Danny Green, but he was still a pretty solid 3-and-D guy, all things considered. His play definitely slipped, but, like, opposing defense is still respected, his three-point shot. His defense was at least adequate. So I do think that that's kind of, like, an interesting – missing piece for them like will they miss Danny Green probably not uh but you know you want three and D guys around LeBron so uh there's at least something to be said for that but in general I think yeah in the West Lakers who's gonna beat them right like that's kind of what I'm thinking right now like I don't really the Clippers didn't really make enough dynamic moves I do like Ty Lu taking over as head coach there I think that'll be an upgrade actually over Doc I, I think Ty Lu will make adjustments and hold guys accountable and I think he's a, he's a really good head coach. But, you know, I still think the Lakers got to be viewed as the favorites
0: coming in. Yep. And you got and, and those are all good points, Ricky, because after this quick little break, we are going to talk about free agency as well as Clippers news that broke out regarding trouble in Paradise's locker room. Interesting news with that. As we, and after that, we are going to talk about, of course, the Chicago Bulls and the moves they made this off-season from free agency to to the draftees as we head up the training camp here in the Midwest. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. And we're back, cause we always fly high, no lie. Y'all know it's, it's ballin', like we always do. With the running war segments, we got Drew, I
3: should young for that dip set, man,
0: man, which, <laughs> man, look, it's a classic out here. Shout out to Jim Jones before he became, you know, Jim Jones. Um, <laughs> we got Drew, we got Chris, we got Ricky O'Donnell. And this segment, we got to talk about free agency because fireworks with the trades took place, but free agency has some fireworks too. and Ricky briefly um, ended the segment with how the Lakers made these big moves. Lakers are some dog, they, they bold G what how, how you have one of your biggest moves to be going after the guy that plays for your crosstown rival. And that's a big stuff. I mean, you get Montrez Harold to come from Clipper town to Lakertown. town. All the, and I'm pretty sure all LeBron had to do was like, since They had the same age was like, hey, Rich, get, get, get Trez to come over here. You see this ring. It has. It says. It, 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 see this L. It's gonna say L on here for your Lakers. So you want to get this ring with me? You may want to come through. And they got the slide through um, on top of other big, other big uh, signings. And the Lakers, they're deadly, man. They are going to be deadly. I thought they got younger. I thought they got um, more youthful. And they, 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 they built up that bench. They really built up that bench better than last year. So. Ricky, if you don't mind, man, starting this off and, you know, going more in depth with the signings that, you know, the Lakers made this off season, they pretty much put themselves in a prime position to pretty much guarantee them a second championship, at least at this moment, that's what it's looking like.
2: They're the favorites for sure. I mean, LeBron and AD, such an incredible duo. I totally agree that they have boosted boosted the rest of the roster uh, they got Mark Gasol, too, who I think can give him a good defensive presence. Uh, kind of thought Gasol looked a little washed last time we saw him. He's just not very quick anymore. That's okay. For a minimum contract, you can still throw him out there. He could still be a, you know, sort of a different center than they had before. Like, Dwight and JaVale were, like, lob options. Guys who you could, like, throw the ball over the basket. They could come down, dunk it, get a rebound. Gasol is not that, right? Like, Gasol is gravity-bound. He's not very quick, but he's a high IQ player. He's a pretty good shooter. He can shoot better than both those guys can. And he's always been an awesome defender. Uh, I think LeBron has tweeted that Gasol stole his uh, defensive player of the year award. I forget what year that was, 13 or 15 maybe. So, uh, yeah, I, I like what the Lakers did for sure. They also got Wes Matthews from the Bucks, So that's going to kind of be their Danny Green replacement this Is a 3 and D guy. Uh, I'm interested to see Chicago guy, Talon Horton Tucker. Is he going to get any more of a role this year? Uh, he got a little bit of burn in the bubble, spent most of the last season in the G League. Talon is still really, really young. Uh, even most of the rookies in the next draft class, them are younger than or older than Talon. So Talon was always like the young, one of the youngest kids in his class. Uh, I like his game though. I'm interested to see how he's going to, you know, if he can add anything to them. And, yeah, like, what do I know? Because I was totally wrong about this stuff last year. But it's, <laughs> it sure looks like the Lakers are the favorites this year.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of teams that, um, a- along with them, that made some pretty, you know, interesting moves as well. And, Drew, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave this thing up to you because the team that really, really, to me, bolstered their chances at least to get back in the playoff contention was the Atlanta Hawks on um, the Atlanta Hawks to be able to get Rajon Rondo to help in that backcourt with Trey Young um, to have that IQ. Then you go out and get, uh, you already have Clint Capella. You got Bogdanovich now um, to help bolster that shooting, even though since he's pretty much told that he wasn't going to Milwaukee, uh, he signed that deal, you get Danilo Gallinari, who, you know, he's in, up in years of his age, but at least he can still provide some shooting um, and scoring here and there when necessary. And you already have a, a strong young court, you know, with John Collins still being there. You still have um hopefully a, a, a diamond in a rough with Cam Reddish, um, uh, who can op- hopefully take that next level. I, I like what the I like what the Atlanta Hawks have done so far when it comes to bolstering uh this young team. Um, what are your thoughts on the Atlanta Hawks and the moves that they made when it comes to when it came to this
1: um this offseason? Tremendous, tremendous man. They um <laughs> One hell of an offseason, man. Um uh, 538's Michael Pena wrote a great article, man, about the Atlanta Hawks and the difficulty in trying to build a team around a guy like Trey Young, who has, as marvelous offensively as he is just in up defensively. And the pieces that you need to put around him in order for your franchise to be successful. Um man, they they're just crazy deep, man. Um I, I see. I'm trying to envision their their five, like in crunch time, but they really have a lot of options. They can they can go really deep. Um, pick and rolls or should be, you know, their bread and butter. Um, definitely a, a playoff contender for sure. Maybe they can creep up into that five six range, maybe. Um, I'm a little salty that the Bulls let Chris Dunn go. Um, nice little defensive presence. Always been a Chris Dunn guy, man. Even though he gets a lot of flack for his offensive game, um, but it's, it'd be interesting to see what what him and Rondo can bring to the table. One thing about Atlanta, though, um, I've heard it. I've heard a point made that their best players can't be on the floor at the same time because there aren't a lot of two-way guys. So you got to kind of figure out the matchups, and you know, should we go offense here or more defense here? Um, so that'd be interesting to see. Um, I made this point as well uh, for, for for brilliance and being sculpted in the mold of a of a Steph Curry. I always kind of temper my expectations for a team whose best player is undersized. I just don't see unless. You got Clay and Draymond and Iguodala and Steve Kerr with you. I just don't really see you getting to a championship level. Um, maybe they'll prove me wrong. But as, when things shake out, I don't see them having the team that can get as far as the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they'll stop just shy of that. Um, I'll be interested to hear what you guys think.
3: I, I agree with you, Drew. Uh, I think they're at that. They, they still have to crack the playoff um, level, right? So you can't start talking about championship or, or conference finals contender before you get to the playoffs. We've seen what Trey Young can do in his first two years. He's a great offensive presence, but you're right. He's inept defensively. That's something that he's got to work on, but he's never going to be, he, he probably won't ever be all, te- all NBA um, defensive team. Um, if he makes third team, I'd be very surprised. But when you get a guy like Chris Dunn, who they've had their little battles back and forth, and you know, Ricky, you, you brought up three guard, uh, three guard or, or three, say, three guard lineups where all of the guys on the floor are one guards. You could have a situation where at any given time you put Trey Young next to Chris Dunn and have him guard the best, and have Chris Dunn guard the best perimeter player and take a lot of uh, stress off of him in terms of that in crunch time. Man, I just saw that they have Tony Snell and as, as as much as it hurts Bulls fans to think about Tony Snell, he still can play good defense for you. I think past that, it's, it's hard to see where they'll shake out. Because as much as people get, keep giving Danilo Gallinari money, it's kind of like Gordon Hayward. Some of that you can't put entirely on them because they get hurt. But even in the NBA where that's worth so much money, are those guys really worth the money that they're getting paid? Like, are they going to bring that much level of, are they gonna make their teams that much better to equal the, the amount of that contract? I don't know about it. I'd say that more for, for Bogdanovich because we've seen what he could do on a exciting, yet still lackluster Sacramento Kings team I think you could see it. I think we see that with Clint Capella because I'm still upset that the Rockets decided that he wasn't worth their time. So, in those pieces in Capella, Bogdanovich, uh, Chris Dunn, and Rondo, adding, you know, in addition to Trey Young and John Collins and Kevin Herter, who they've had, and young Cam Reddish, that gives you the idea that they could be a playoff team eight in the East, maybe even a seven seed. But they're they're going to have to figure out how to build up an identity around, you know, how do they how do they build around Trey Young? It's different than it's obviously it's different than um, Giannis, who in two thousand fourteen was still growing into his body but was already a player on the rise. Trey Young has, hasn't cracked his ceiling yet, but it's unlikely that he's going to be too much more than a dynamic long range shooter with great handles who can get to the rim and hit free throws. You're not going to see an opening up of his defensive game. You're not going to see an opening up of his back to the basket post game. So you have to put guys around him who can play defense and bang in the post, you know, outside of just John Collins.
0: Yeah. Those are all very good points. And we'll, we'll just see with Atlanta because you know, the, other teams in East both made some pretty decent moves as well. Um, the Philadelphia 76ers got better. Darren Moore didn't waste no time when he, got in, when he got in that position. They made some pretty big moves in bringing in Danny Green and other, and other components that can actually bring shooting to help out Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. and not And Brooklyn's still Brooklyn. I mean, even if Kevin Durant is 80%, that's still, that's still a lot better than a lot of others that are 80% with those type of injuries. You know, so to have Kevin Durant still there and Kyrie Irving and the new and improved Nets, I mean, to be able to come out of the East or even get into the East is going to be difficult, but I, I must transition to this because this new, the news broke out today about how there's a lot of discrepancies that took place within the, uh, the, the Clippers locker room, a lot of issues, um, and chemistry issues that, that are becoming viral even to the point where Paul George is having his opinions on all the smoke <laughs> podcast, talking about how bad the Clippers were on the court. And then you have people behind the scenes talking about how Paul George is one is one, is one of the two players on that team that, you know, just getting all this special treatment and Kawhi is calling off practices and pretty much telling the players he doesn't want to play because in certain moments of games and stuff. And I'm just sitting here like, we literally thought that the Clippers at one point, at least I was one of those people, like Ricky mentioned, I was one of those people that thought the Clippers gonna win a title. Mm-hmm. I, I I really thought they were stacked with you know that lineup, especially when you're talking about a bench mob with Trez and Lou Williams coming off that bench to go with that starting five. I thought that was gonna be I thought that was it. I thought Clippers gonna actually come back, take the title, actually make it a rivalry in LA when it comes to championships and that cause they actually can win one. But it just seemed like it turned into another fairy tale. It's like you know, far, far away from Shrek. That's <laughs> like that's how I viewed the Clippers with this whole thing. And it's like, I don't know, I don't know what's going on, man. So, Ricky, as someone, you know, you've been covering teams, you always heard stuff in lock rooms about stuff like this happen. What was your first reaction to hearing the news of the Clippers, pretty much literally living the L.A. dream of drama in their in in, in their locker room from not just the from not just the players, but even up to the you know, the coaching staff and the criticisms that come behind all that.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think that, uh, you know, everyone's ripping Paul George for his comments on all the smoke. I thought he was just being really honest. I mean, he said, he's like, yeah, we were up 3-1. We thought we were going to win the series. They won the next game, we still thought we were going to win. So we didn't really make any adjustments. It did sort of seem like he was throwing Doc under the bus a bit, but they didn't make any adjustments. So they make the coaching change. Ty Lu is an assistant for them last year. I think Ty Lu is going to be an upgrade over Doc. I really like Ty Lu. I thought he did some good work with the Cavs back in the day. So uh, they also made some moves on the edges of the roster. They got Ibaka, which I think could be a pretty good, you know, big man who can shoot for them, still play a little defense. Uh, they got Nicholas Batum, who could give him maybe a wing presence. He's at sort of the end of his career. Uh, they also got Luke Kennard from the Pistons, who I don't love, but he's kind of interesting. He's a young guy. He can really shoot. Maybe he can play off Kawhi and PG. So they still obviously got a ton of talent. Uh, they have to at least make the conference finals or, oh, my God, there's such a huge failure. Like after they got knocked out in the second round last year. Also, Kawhi can become a free agent again whenever he wants after this season. So It'll be interesting to see if Kawhi like wants to spend his whole career there. I would assume he does. Uh, But you know, they had a, they had a pretty big flame out last year and obviously a lot of drama around the team. So it's pretty clear that like Kawhi isn't really comfortable being that like very vocal leader on the court. That's fine. I mean, you want your best player to be your leader, but you know, not everyone is going to be comfortable enough in their own skin to do that. Not everyone's wired that way. I kind of thought the bigger problem with the Clippers is that, all of the sort of lower tier players also weren't like great leaders. I mean, you had Pat Bev, who I love, but he's like a fiery guy. I don't really want him being my leader. And you got Lou Will, who's kind of just a bucket getter. Harold was playing for a contract last year, kind of came up short in the bubble. So I'm looking at that team. Like I would have switched it up even more. I probably would have gotten rid of Lou Will and Beverly. Cause those are still good guys. They probably got some trade value. Like see if you could just get some new pieces in there that, Compliment Kawhi better and that aren't going to be like mad at Kawhi when he's showing up late to practice or just choosing not to play. Uh, like, Kawhi obviously gets preferential treatment. Uh, he's still doing his job, though, right? Like, he's performing at a super high level. It's not impacting his play. He's also had, you know, so many injuries throughout the course of his career that he requires uh, more attention. So, I don't know. If I was the Clippers, I would have gotten even more dramatic with the moves. But I'm interested to see what Ty can do, because I think that'll be an upgrade for him. Uh, I think Baca's a nice piece. Kennard could be a nice piece. So they're interesting. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't put him ahead of the Lakers this year, but they're definitely one of the few teams that still has the top-end talent to compete with the Lakers. And not many teams can even get that far. So they're still in a good spot.
3: Drew, I I don't want to take time away from you to comment on that because it's important and I want to hear what you have to say, but I just want to take like 60 seconds to be pissed off. Can I do that? (laughs) Please, sir, please let it out. The Clippers sold us all, man. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. The Clippers sold us. All of us who love what LeBron James does off the court but love hating him on the court, the Clippers sold us out. They didn't even get to him. They didn't even get there. It's like a movie. Where you're you're seeing it's like if Game of Thrones was Starks versus Lannisters, and the Clippers were the were the Starks, and all the Starks just got killed before the last season. That's what the Clippers were. They 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 got smoked by by my man Uron Greyjoy, aka um, Jamal Murray. They went out like absolute trash scrubs, and that's the wild thing is is realizing that Ricky, you're right. They still have the talent. With the assemblance of guys that they have, that they are the best challenger. I think they're the. I think they're after last year. I would call them two A, two B with with Utah or Denver, depending on what they do. Because they failed in such a dramatic way, they were up 15 points in the third quarter with a 3-1 lead. There is absolutely no way with that collection of veterans and that coach that you lose that lead in the semifinals, but they did. And, and after that, I am no surprise. I'm not surprised at all about allegations of, of this and that and the other, whatever going on, you know, we thought it was just Lou Lou will going to get some wings. It was way more than that. (laughs) I, I, Kawhi, I'm not going to say that Kawhi Leonard is not a, a, a great player. I'm not saying he's not a superstar. I'm not saying that he hasn't locked LeBron up in the past and he could do so in the future. LeBron, for all of his mystique, because at this point it's not just skill, it's the mystique of LeBron, like how Jordan at 37 had that mystique around him that no matter if he looked slow, you couldn't fuck with him. Kawhi could still step out there and lock LeBron up in a given night. But he's not the guy that you want taking the baton and saying, follow me, right? He's not that guy. I think Giannis is more that guy than Kawhi Leonard is. So the Clippers have to regroup. It would, I think Ty, I, I want to see what Tyron Lue does without LeBron, the shadow of LeBron behind him, how he coaches that way. And I think as, as he's been a good guy on a bench for other teams, I think he's going to be a good head coach. But they need somebody to step up on the floor and say, follow me, everybody... Be quiet. This is what we need to do. Because not just some of those guys, you know, Kawhi won a ring, right? But Paul George was still hunting for a ring. He needed to step up and be, hey, this is, yo, everybody bring it in. We need to go now. Pat Bev, same re, same thing. Montrezl Harrell, even in the contract year, he's supposed to be that guy that says, yo, everybody bring it in. This is what we need to do. Where is that guy? Where are the guys who are hungry to succeed? That's what I need to see from Los Angeles before I ever put them in the idea of okay, they could make the finals. They can't make the finals to me until they show me, because this is lo- this is the Los Angeles Clippers, San Diego Rockets, Buffalo Braves who have made the playoffs 15 times in their entire history. They need to come out and do something before I say anything that they they can they can do. That was more than 60 seconds, but I'm I'm done.
1: It's all right, man. <laughs> I'm hurt. <laughs> I was hurt, man. I was so hurt. <laughs> Man, I felt the spirit of of Keith Kloss and uh, Michael Oliver Candy coming out of you, man. (laughs) All all I want to add, I mean, how can I follow behind that? All I want to add is that I just don't understand Paul George, man. He's so smooth, so gifted, so athletic, even after that gruesome injury. I just don't understand what's not clicking with him, man. Um, And I feel like he has to figure it out at some point. He's, He's just too talented not to. And for all the chatter about, Kawhi Leonard being um upset about uh the coaching staff wanting him to have the ball in his hands uh more than I guess he thought he would. Why can't Paul George be that guy? Why can't he make plays for his his teammates? That's what I thought he did in Indiana. You know, all this talk about them needing to go out there and get Rondo, which I think would have been a really good piece for them to get, um, even though he's not the offensive guy. Why can't you why can't you run your off let you know, let let um Paul? George facilitate the offense. I don't. I'm just. I don't get it, man. And I hope he figures it out. Maybe getting married kind of settles things down for him, and he's able to kind of hone in on his craft more. Whatever it is, I don't. I don't want to, you know, make it seem like this guy doesn't work hard or want to win. But just something has to click, or else he's gonna be his generation's version of Lamar Odom without the championships with Kobe.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean. Paul George kind of mentioned that in the all the smoke podcast where he pretty much said, you know, he felt like Doc Rivers was pretty much trying to make him like a Ray Allen or a JJ Redick. And he said, that's not, he can play that role, but it's not a skill set. He's more of an isolation guy, giving the ball and pick and roll and then we go to work. Um, so maybe with the addition of Ty Lewis, the coach being, uh, hopefully being that upgrade that Ricky mentioned, Ty could put him in that position to where he can actually do more um, with, with the ball in his hands. But I'm just glad that Chris justified Lou Williams going to, get Matt, going to get wings at Magic City because he wasn't just dealing with COVID and stuff. He's dealing with all this hell going on in the, in the Clippers' locker room. He's like, yeah, forget it. I need, I need more than just some wings. I need wings and booty. I don't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't blame him at this point. But <laughs> enough for the Clippers because we are Chicago. We are the Midwest. This is the Windy City. And last time I checked, we do have an NBA franchise. So we got to talk about the Bulls, man. And the Bulls, you know, although we have new management, we have a new coach, I can't even tell you how much it felt to just listen to a press conference and just actually hear about basketball concepts instead of just saying, you know, we're trying really hard. We'll, be, we'll do better next time. Like, that, we're done with that now. It actually seems like Billy Donovan, Arturias Karnisavis, Marcus Eversley are just actually know what they're doing. They know what they're talking about. We can actually accept the words that they're saying. And I want to I shift this conversation uh, with starting with Ricky because, you know, Ricky has been closer with the team and the fact that the Bulls made the move that they made, especially at draft night. I'm not going to lie. You said Patrick Williams. I'm like, who the hell this guy is? Like, I don't know who he is. Like, he was just someone that kind of came up the blue. But the more research that you that you do, the more you watch the skill sets, Um, you see the tapes, you can see the direction that the Bulls are sort of trying to go into, which is more into positionless basketball. He kind of fits that skill, and especially if you want to talk about maybe a potential ceiling that had when it comes to um, the offensive skill set. You know, defensively he has it. He has the defense. He has the versatility. He had the NBA ready body to hang the hang to bang with those guys. But if the offense can take off over time, this may look like a steal for the Bulls um, when it comes when it comes to this draft.
2: Yeah, I think that this was a pick that Garpax never would have made. They would not have taken Patrick Williams with that fourth pick. They would have taken Denny or they would have taken Tyrese Halliburton. So we'll see how this works out. Like I didn't think that. Uh, Patrick Williams would ever go number four Uh, but I did know who he was I watched him a lot on Florida State I I actually interviewed him as a high school player I watched him uh, on the Nike EYBL circuit and I talked to him uh, never thought I I saw him and I'm like oh this kid looks pretty interesting he's big and he can kind of shoot so I put him as like the last pick in my earliest mock draft like from June 2019 my first 2020 mock And then he didn't start any games for Florida State, but he was one of their best players. He was always finishing games. And, yeah, I really like the pick for the Bulls. I think it's super exciting. I like sort of the strategy behind it. I did not love Halliburton or Denny. I thought that those guys didn't have as much upside. And while I was shocked that they took Patrick Williams, I sort of love it. So I guess my sort of breakdown of his game is like – so. Big, versatile forward, 6'8", 6'9", 230. Uh, If you see him, like, look at his legs. His legs are just gigantic. He has, like, tree trunk legs. Uh, He is not super quick. So that's kind of the one thing that holds him back a little bit. I think he's fast in the open floor end-to-end, but, like, in terms of, like, lateral quickness, not super-duper quick. So I view him as a modern power forward as a guy who can like do a lot of things, I think like some people now are like, Oh, is he a three? Like, is he playing small forward? Is he playing power forward? I like him at the four because when you, here's what makes him interesting to me when you talk about like three and D guys, normally those guys get classified as like perimeter defense and three point shooting. What's interesting about Patrick Williams is his defense component in that three and D is like shot blocking. It's like rim protection. So I think he gives you a lot of different avenues to build the team because he's a really good shot blocker and good rim protector. Patrick Williams is so big that when he walls up at the rim, like he can absorb contact from the offensive player. And he's only going to get bigger and stronger as he gets older. He's the youngest. He was the youngest American player in this draft. So I love his defensive potential as a shot blocker, interior paint defender. Uh, And I think he sort of gives you some versatility to like, Now maybe you could play Lowry at the five. We never really saw Lowry at the five because you think, oh, we can't defend enough to play the five. But if you got Patrick Williams blocking shots behind him, I think that that maybe gives you some lineup flexibility or just, you know, Patrick Williams is 19. In 2030, Patrick Williams will be 29. He'll be in his prime. So like the team's going to change a lot, I think. Uh, You know, they could have Jokic in five years or whatever. The team could totally change, who knows? But he gives you some versatility uh, in terms of like the types of lineups you can build because he has kind of a unique skill set as a shot blocking four his offense I think is really interesting because I think he has a path to being a good player whether he's like a big time scorer or like a medium time scorer I still think he'd be a good player either way uh I think most likely he You know, you can project him as like a a mid-level score, like not a high-volume score, not a primary option. So, like, that's one path, right? Where he's still a pretty good player because I think he's a smart player for sure. Uh, One thing everyone says about him is he has a high feel for the game. And, of course, the thing the Bulls keep mentioning is that he played point guard in high school. So, you, like, watched him at Florida State. He, like, didn't have a lot of bad turnovers, seemed to be a willing passer, seemed to be a smart passer. So, I think that'll play. He can kind of shoot. So, you know, you think, what is his offense going to look like early? I think he's going to stand in the corner and hit catch and shoot threes. And I think when teams close out on him to try to defend that shot, he can go by him on the baseline and try to finish at the rim. So that's sort of like the middle tier outcome for his offense is he's a guy who could maybe average out like 15 points a game, 14 points a game and play good defense. So that's a valuable player for sure, especially in a draft that had a lot of guys who had question marks uh but then the more i watch him and the more i look into his stats i do think he's got way more untapped offensive potential than he showed at florida state florida state does not really let any of their players dribble it's a team that likes to like move the ball use their size They always get a ton of big bigs on the court and not a lot of shooting uh so he never really got to show off his dribbling too much but when he did I think he's got a really impressive, like, dribble pull-up game, which is obviously what you need if you're going to be a star. And the numbers show that in limited possessions, I think 9% of his possessions only, he was a pick-and-roll ball handler, like, running the pick-and-roll. And And he was awesome at it. He scored, like, super efficiently, 90th percentile in the country. Small sample size caveat there. So, like, who knows if he's going to be able to do that against NBA competition in a bigger, you know, volume of attempts. But uh i think his offensive game actually does have a lot of potential and he could be good whether not, whether he's a big time scorer or not but what the bulls should do is like try to develop that on ball offensive game like you know the one you look at him and like you know people are just going to make a comparison to Kawhi because he's like Kawhi's size sort of he's not quite as long but you know big six eight big strong Kawhi cop right <laughs> I would never give anyone a Kawhi comp because Kawhi is so damn good and so ridiculous, but why not try to make him right? Like, why not try to be like, Hey man, we're going to give you some pick and rolls and some isolations and try to hit some pull-up jumpers, try to hit some pull-up threes, try to get to the basket. Like, let's see what you got offensively because he shows some flashes where he's got some shake to his game. He's got a little bit of pull-up game. Like I like what I see. And I think that while I was surprised that he went fourth, the more I think about it, I just love it. Like, it's just an exciting pick. I think Chicago is really going to like him. Uh, if you watch the draft, you saw the little package of him working at his mom's flower shop. Uh, I, like I said, I interviewed him once before too, and he was a high school player. He's just like a really sweet, nice guy. And I think that Chicago will like, you know, gravitate towards him. I hope no one's like eventually one day questioning his killer instinct because he's such a nice guy, but I think that uh, he'll be someone the fan base will like for sure. I think he's got a lot of upside. And I think that even if he doesn't like totally hit his upside, he should still be a pretty damn good player. He's going to bring it on both ends of the court and the Bulls haven't had two way guys like that. So I really like it. And uh, you know, the more I think about it, I think the more I continue to sell myself on it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I like I like i sort of like the pick a little bit as well, and especially because for me, at least as the right now going into this upcoming season, he could be that one guy that can guard the best player. That's a less guy for Zach Levine to guard. He can save Zach Levine offensively. He can allow Zach Levine to focus on um, scoring the ball offensively compared to having to guard the best player, which was something that from a user's rate perspective, Zach Levine was one of the highest in the NBA last year um I think in the 30% the 30 almost like 35% when it comes to offensive defensive efficiency. Uh, Drew and Chris, any fi- uh thoughts on, on the Patrick um, you know, Williams pick before we uh transition?
1: Um like Ricky said, it's just, it's just very exciting. Um, um I wonder if AK and Mark Devilsley picked him up banking on him being able to show what well, like Ricky said, the offensive game of a wing, being able to improve in it in it aspect of his game Um, for everything that Ricky said about his abilities and, and kind of fitting the mode of a, of a modern day power for, I wonder if they just are hoping, man, if this guy can become our three, we, we, we're on cloud nine, man. Um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing what he can do. I wonder how many, how much playing time he'll get if auto Porter stays healthy, which is a big, if we all, we all know that, um, but auto Porter needs this year, we need as much from him as he needs from himself this year playing in the, on a contract year. Uh, everybody's pretty down on him, but he's played well when he's been healthy and he's been the guy that the bulls needed. Um, so just kind of imagining uh, what it's going to look like going forward, um, looking forward to, to seeing these guys play. I can't say
3: any better than that. I think it, it is going to be a question of of how they how they choose to play him, whether they choose to play him behind Otto for a majority of the time and use for develop, uh, unless I miss something, Thaddeus Young is still on the team, right? So there's there's minutes there that have to be picked and chosen. We're we're not going to see him out of the gate. I think the the last guy I can recall like this where not not so much of of high ceiling. The Bobby Portis, when people were like, well, what are we going to get from him? Let's see him play. It took a while for him to get into the rotation. And I think it was, uh, I want to say December, before we saw really significant minutes from Bobby Portis. So I would be surprised to see the same thing here. Um, the only thing I'm worried about is, <laughs> is Chicago fans roasting him. Um, like the, the people you know who roast. Just to do it, like uh like Mola Luther King about about the flower shop stuff, which I thought was cool. I thought it was nice. But he might get roasted a little bit until he starts dunking on people's heads. But otherwise I like Patrick Williams. Um I I think he does have the potential to be a lot. Not not a superstar, but an all star. So I I look forward to seeing how he develops, that's all.
2: And when I said that I thought he was a four and not a three, I think I should clarify, I think he could play the three on offense, I guess like when I look at guys positions I usually say your position is who you defend. So I view him as like I want him close to the basket on defense like providing some shot blocking them like standing on the perimeter, because you did definitely see him get blown by at times by quick guards. Uh, but I think offensively he could play on the perimeter for sure and hopefully he could be like a wing on offense and then on defense he could like you know give you a little paint protection so yeah I think that you guys both added great points and uh, yeah what what do you guys think in terms of like Lowry versus Carter how do you guys sort of look into that because I feel like now you got Pat in the mix we can maybe talk about this next segment too but I'm just curious how you sort of divvy that up. Do you still like both of them? Do you think they're going to need to make a choice?
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in the next segment um, for, for time's sake. But I, I want the one real, real briefly, uh, Ricky, I want to bring up this small, maybe um, pitch of a question to you. If you for based, more I think about what your analysis on Patrick, do you actually think that he could really be the next Luau Dang?
2: that'd be really good i mean that'd be awesome if he had a, as good of a career as dang two-time all-star like yeah dang was sick so i think it's possible for sure and here's the thing the game has changed so much just since luol was on the Bulls. like now if luol was coming into the league he would definitely be a stretch four right he'd be a perfect stretch four because he was so long could shoot the three he never played the four on the bowls he played the three with two traditional bigs right like that team did not have a lot of shooting like I was watching some Noah highlights today, from a game they beat the Heat in 2014, and it was like so different. Like it's like an so epic, different. an epic Noah performance. Super fun game, but the Bulls had like 66 points in the fourth quarter. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's like, dude, now you just got to put up more points. You got to, you know, high faster pace, more shooting. You're not selling out for offensive rebounds as much, which the Bulls were awesome back in the day because they would just gobble up every offensive board. So, yeah, I think Luol Deng is a good comparison. And if he turned out to be that,
3: that'd be awesome. It's so wild how much the game has changed in six years.
0: Yeah, man. But that being said, we're going to transition, but continue mm-hmm. with more Bulls talk as well as some college hoops. So stick around. You don't want to miss it.
3: All I was, all I was going to add is that I remember, and I, I'm going to take a slight shot at the um, – they assembled kind of media media um, expectations. I recall when Lovey Smith uh, was was fired or his contract wasn't renewed, whichever one it was, and Mark Tressman was brought in with the Chicago Bears. One of the things I remember hearing or reading, either on the score or or in the newspaper, was that Hallis Hall was much more forthcoming. People media felt much more that think that information was much more open and, and, and forthcoming, they, they seemed like they felt more um, welcome or, or informed or, or just like, you know, that people wanted to see them there more, which that's not really what you want or need. I know your job is to inform the public. Like our job is to analyze and inform our listeners, right? That's at the base root of what we do, but it's not inherent to having a successful team. So it kind of, I don't, I can't say much about Karnashovas or Mark Eversley at the moment. There hasn't been much other than the draft. There hasn't been much in off season free agency, which I, I didn't expect much. The Bulls are still trying, they're trying to pick up an identity and to figure out what they want to do with the guys that they have, what they can do with the guys they have. But I'm honestly a little heartened by the fact that they were cloak and dagger <laughs> before uh, the draft. Jerry Krause was cloak and dagger too. Um, he, he was paranoid to the point of fanaticism, but he put a successful team together. for, for, for that point alone, I'm looking forward to what they do next. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. that's true. That, that, that's true, I mean, I think if anything, they're, like you said, this is going to be a trial year for them anyways because shortened season, um, the ideal situation to actually evaluate your talent was shortened. Um, especially since we know Arturo has a really scouting type of background when it comes to these, evaluating the talent. So he probably wants to give this whole season just to evaluate to see what he has as well as prepare for next season where you're going to have a lot more cap space to actually make a lot more moves. Um, 2021 is supposed to be a bigger free agent pool, especially when you talk about from superstar talent. Um, so I think he's trying to you know just play things close to the chest and really see what maybe he can do next year um, especially with all that money that he, that they're going to have you know with the expiring contract for ala Porter um, or even try to see if they can make some moves at trend deadline uh, with that contract. Um, just to see what they can get in return to help aid the bulls moving forward which could be a potential asset for the future depending on what they want to do. Um, so I think, you know, this, is, this, 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 this is one of those, you know, trial and error years um, and just really see what's going to happen next. But I want to transition to the conversation of uh, Lauren marketing and Wendell Carter, because um, before in the, in the segment uh, Ricky brought that up and that those two players together, uh, like Drew said, they haven't really had that much time to play together. Um, Laurie has been in and out of the lineup with injuries, as well as Wendell. It seems like Wendell has becoming as starting, but slowly to get the, the the title of injury prone, which is something that we, as both fans don't want to see, uh, especially as the number seven pick. So there was, was rumors circulating about him actually being a trade package, especially when we talk about we're trying to draft James Wiseman. So. Do I really think that Wendell Carter's future with is with the Bulls? I don't really know. I think what's really keeping him there, honestly, is Billy Donovan because he sees a lot of Al Horford in him, and he's the player that he coached in college and saw, from what we, and we saw flourish in the NBA over time. Um, so I think that's what's really keeping Wendell, you know, in Chicago right now is the fact that Billy Donovan can maybe. Bring out an Al Horford type of player more out of the Al Horford type of role in Wendell, but I. But if that doesn't happen this year, I won't be surprised if you know they move off of him, um, especially, you know, in a league where big men, especially that can shoot the ball effectively, and stretch the floor. Um, if Wendell can't do that, I won't be surprised if they move if they move him um if they move on him because that's since it seems like that's part of the direction that the Bulls are going to. Yeah.
2: I like Wendell. I would like, but you know, he's, he hasn't lived up to my expectations for sure. Like, like you said, he's never going to be, he's always going to be undersized for a center and he's not like a big time jumper. So he kind of has to be a skill guy because he's not like big and explosive. So he has to hit threes. He has to be a good passer. I liked him because I thought he was really skilled when I watched him at Duke and I saw him in high school too, but he hasn't really proven it yet. I do think he's proven that he's damn good on defense. Like, it's really tough to be a good defensive NBA center at 20 years old or 21 years old. How old is he right now? He's currently 21. He turns 22 in April. So he's so young, right? Like, I still think he's got a bright future. But here's my whole thing, and I'm curious what you guys think. With Karnaschovas, it's like, yeah, this is an evaluation period, but also the clock is ticking. Like, Karnaschovas was hired because the team just needed, like, bold decision-making that the previous front office wasn't capable of doing, right? Like they hired Karnaschovas to make some tough decisions because they traded Butler and now it's like, well, it's not really working. Maybe it will work in the future, but it doesn't seem like even in the best case scenario for the Bulls current roster, I don't think they have that much upside, right? Like they just don't have a star level player. They don't have a John Morant or, you know, someone who's really going to be the centerpiece. So I kind of feel like they got to make a decision soon on what they're going to do with some of these guys because Lowry's on an expiring contract now. Like, he's up for an extension right now if he wants one, or this is last year. Uh, And then Levine, entering this year, he's got two seasons. So he's got this year and then one more year. You don't want to lose him for nothing. Do you really want to re-sign him? Do you want to trade him? And thinking about Noah today, how did the Bulls get Kim Noah? They traded Eddie Curry to the Knicks for two first-round draft picks. Uh, And, you know, they were able to get Noah and LaMarcus Aldridge, a.k.a. Tyrus Thomas. So part of me is wondering, like, I kind of think their best move might be to sell. Because I can sort of... I don't really know how good this collection of talent is. Maybe you guys disagree. Uh, Maybe going from the worst coach in the NBA in Jim Boylan to a guy who's probably going to be average or better than average and Billy Donovan changes everything. But I kind of think they're going to have to do something soon just because of Lowry's contract and Levine's contract. So uh, I'm sort of curious what you guys think. We could start with Drew, I guess. Sorry. Now I'm like asking questions, but I'm just sort of curious, like what you think of like the yeah. state of the team. Will they have to make a big move? You think I, I they think they can grow into something like, I think it's totally up in the air.
1: So I feel like I'm I'm battling my heart and my head, and you just said the things that are kind of in my head. In my heart, I really just want this team to stay healthy so we can see what they can do. But that being said, when you look at the playoff picture from last year, I don't see much changing, except maybe Orlando sliding out. Atlanta's probably sliding in, maybe not eight, maybe somewhere higher than that. So the Bulls really are looking at trying to tag one of those um, play-in spots this year. And do we really want to be in that basketball purgatory of we're not good enough to win a championship, but we are good enough to, you know, take a game or two from the first, the first seed in the playoffs every year. We don't want that either. Um, to your point, Larry's on the, on the, on the contract season. Um, Levine is our, is our brightest and biggest asset. Can we move him? Um, I, I I guess, man, I guess you sold me, man. <laughs> I guess you sold me. Well, I'm just you saying don't, I don't know either, gotta, dude, Like I, I, I guess you do, because you don't want to just like you said, uh AK was brought in to make make these bold decisions to get this this ship, you know, moving forward. Um and not just being capped off at, you know, these these bottom sea playoff appearances. So I mean, see what we got. Maybe some of these guys can can play up their their assets, play up their potential and you know, make themselves more, more valuable in the trade market and we can snag a big fish or two in the, in, in the summer of 21. Damn.
2: Yeah, like I don't think, like for some teams, getting the eight seed is like a disaster. For the Bulls, would be awesome if they get the eight seed because they have a bunch of young guys. So if the Bulls get the eight seed, that means that Carter's having an awesome season. Markinen's having a way better season than last year when he was kind of bad. Porter's staying healthy. He's still not that old. He's, like, 28, I think.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, Kobe – I feel like Kobe's the most important guy on the team this year because mm-hmm. he's going to be the point guard. It's, like, to me, he's more of, like, a microwave scorer than a point guard, but I might be wrong. Maybe he does have the facilitating passing chops. Yeah.
1: So, then, I don't know. To, to that point, too, does them – do? you know, will them hopefully making that jump to the playoffs – you know, kind of getting some of these bigger these bigger free agents looking over their shoulder like, hey, maybe we got something cooking over in Chicago. Mm-hmm.
0: That, I think uh, that's the thing. I, I think that's the thing. Like, we, before we jump to conclusions as far as what the Bulls really need to do, I think we have to understand the management that we hired. tourist Cornelius has the scouting background and he's known for developing talent. Most of the time in Denver, that, tel- that talent was developed through the draft. You drafted, you drafted Jokic, you drafted Jamal Murray. Um, The the only biggest free agents you really got over there was Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are guys that are, that'll give you, you know, good talent, but they're not superstars. They're more like the Drew holidays where they can impact the game, but they're not going to be the life and death of your team making a like going to the championship or not. So because that's what we know of him during his time in management you have to wonder if he's going to make some of those same type of moves in his current position now. And I think the pressure of Chicago from Chicago, from fans, from the fans perspective and the fact that you do not have a playoff winning head coach and who's proven to work with superstars as well as young talent. I think if anything, that's going to just put added more pressure towards our, our towards to really actually make those bold moves. If anything, Because I think, I think at this point he may be looking at it as like, okay, this is a development year. We got to see how much of a development process we're going to have from now throughout the end of the year. Once we figure that out and based on whether they both made the playoffs or not, I think that's where, if anything, you have to utilize um, influence of Billy Donovan. You have to utilize in- influence of Mo Chiefs. You have to use, uh, influence of Mark Eversley who have these big names in the back of their pockets from connection perspectives to bring more talent to the city. Because at the end of the day, Chicago's not going to thrive unless you have a superstar. That's just, the, that's just the reality. You have to. Have, Chicago is meant to have superstar talent, and the only way you and you can get and because Chicago is a city that it is, you can get it in various ways. Whether it was free agency, whether it is trade, but at the end of the day, your young talent has to progress because that's what we are right now. We are young talent that that have potential to progress, and I think by the time the trade deadline comes around, they'll figure that out. Because like you mentioned, if you want to trade Zach Levine. To a contending team like the Nets, and make them a third star, and get valuable assets back. Now you're talking about a different length. Now you're talking about you know <laughs> other young talent that can help push this thing moving forward in a different way than you originally thought. As that, as from Zach Levine being your first option. So I think those are the understanding the management and the history behind of where they came from and what they're what they were a part of can really actually help see their mindset of where they're trying to go, but also still show promise. Of where they can go, um, that's that's just something. Some things we have to consider.
3: I think. I I don't think you're going to see them swing on free. Just based on what you said, I think that they would be willing to to build in the draft over a at least a period of time, because you you go based on past actions for for anybody, right? So with Carnesovis. You would expect him to do similar things as they did in Denver, try to build from within. And they built a very good team pretty much from within. Paul Millsap, um, notwithstanding, he's a great role player who is opposed to what we talked about before with Hayward and Gallinari. Paul Millsap always adds to your team. What you have with Denver and Utah with favors and Millsap are guys who are long haul guys who are going to add to your team when you pick them up in free agency. They, you know, they really bring something. So I think that you would see that. And even if he, if he does well and if, you, if the Bulls don't trade him, I think you could get something for Otto Porter. So I wouldn't expect him to stick around, but that would be an Otto Porter type deal. So I agree with you, Drew. I think that Zach Levine has made the Bulls watchable at times. That Hornets game is still very much a fun game to watch, but that was like one of the highlights, right? As, as Cam, Cameron Payne's random outburst of 20 some odd points. Highlight game to watch. But those are the moments you have, few and far between. So you get what you can for Zach. I think this might not be his absolute highest value in terms of um, contract or trade of, or trade value, but it's pretty high. So I, I think you you see what he does this season. If he's anything close to what he's been, you swing and get back what you can for him in terms of draft picks. Um, you if Otto Porter. I mean, he's on a contract season. So unless, if he, if you get to the midpoint of the season and you can get something back for him, you, you trade him at the trade deadline. And then you have Kobe White, who's an exciting player, who's going to bring a lot for you. And I really do really hope Wendell Carter is stays healthy because I think he's an invaluable defensive piece. That's what I, I really like. I, I think that he can step outside and shoot at some point, but... Injuries really have set him back, but defensively, what he know what he knows how to do, and his desire for it is very hard to replace. And I don't want to put it up against like you know if you had to keep him or Lawyer or Patrick Williams, but I I really, I really want him on the team. So, but I don't look at Karnašević to add big time free agents, um, just for the sake of doing it. I think that they would rather build through the draft or um, what they can get in terms of just like, not necessarily two-way guys, but lower, lower radar trades.
2: One thing I think is interesting coming into this year, or coming into last year, let's say, I was like, I think people who know my Bulls coverage know that I'm typically very negative. I, want, I basically just wanted <laughs> to get Garpacks fired and we got Gar fired. So that's all I wanted.
3: Yeah, what do you do do now, man?
2: Well, yeah, so I'm just, you know, we're going to see. Like, Daryl Morey took a new job, and Troy Weaver took a new job, and they immediately started making trades, and Karnashev hasn't done that, which is fine. I just, you know, he's going to have to make some decisions soon. And I think that, like, the one spot where this front office can really improve over the last front office is in, like, making trades, right? Like, Garpak's never made any trades very rarely like the Otto Porter trade was a really good trade actually coming into last season I thought Otto Porter was their best player and then he didn't play the whole year so like Otto on the team full-time now Levine has definitely taken a little bit of a step up the last two years Uh, personally I'd like Levine in more of like an off-ball role not him like handling the ball having to make decisions like playing basically like a point guard so Donovan has said like you know Kobe's going to be the point guard. I think they'll try to do more ball movement stuff instead of, like, Zach Levine isolation. So I think that's pretty exciting. I mean, I can definitely talk myself into it, right? So, like, how how good can they actually be this year? Do you think they could get the eight seed? Is that realistic? Do you think, you know...
3: Uh, how trash is the East going to be?
2: It's pretty bad. Let's run... <laughs> like... <laughs> I mean the magic, like they're still they're still pretty decent. I don't see. I don't think the East is
1: trash. Not not the top. The top is good. Top seven ish. Yeah,
2: top seven is good.
1: Okay, Mm -hmm. that's not trash.
2: Right, but then there's a lot of trash teams, (laughs) like the Cavs, the Knicks, Wizards. Like, are the Bulls better than the Wizards?
1: I hope. Oh, with Westbrook, I don't know. Yeah, that's the weird thing.
3: I don't know. And, and then, as you talked about
1: earlier, the Wizards have shooters. They got Westbrook now. They got Denny. They got Beale. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Beale. Yeah. Uh.
2: Like the Bulls <laughs> gotta be better than them, though, if they're really gonna make progress, right? So like oh, they got- if they could get into the play-in tournament, the seven seed, the eight seed, the nine, and the ten are in the play-in tournament. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh that could be pretty fun. Like it could be the first thing to get us excited about basketball since. I mean, it's it's been so long since the three.
3: twenty-seven.
2: seven.
1: Three alphas, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. Since Rondo broke his hand in, in game yes.
1: two. Yeah, yeah, I think now I was I was going over this, man. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody knows, but the the eight, the top eight, the eight teams that made it again. Some things have changed, rosters have changed. The Bulls were over against that whole eight, even the Orlando's of the world, but they only played them one time. Now they did beat Atlanta three times, but as we know, Atlanta is completely different now. Um, I'm interested to say, are they better than Charlotte? I don't know, man. They might,
0: they be. might be. They might be, but it'll be. Yeah, but either way it goes. Um, if they're not, you're gonna hear from Levar. So.
3: Right. <laughs> Levar. <laughs> he he really right. LeVar, LeVar got gonna lock Levar up in his bro. basement. <laughs> LeVar got
2: vindicated today. Leangelo signed a contract. He's got three kids on deals. Yeah. No one can come at him today.
1: LeVar is smoking the fattest cigar right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he is, but he can't do too much of that because he got to play MJ. So you gotta make sure that he's okay for when he plays MJ. But aside from all that, man, it's like I said, we'll see what the we'll see what the Bulls are gonna do. There's a lot of question marks they gotta they gotta figure out, and that's why, like like Ricky said, that's why you hired Mark uh, uh, Arturas and you want to talk about getting free agents or big time players to your city. That's why you hired Billy Billy Donovan, and that's why you also hired Mark Eversley. two like, two people that have connections. Mo Cheeks, you got him on your assistant staff. Veterans love Mo Cheeks like that. These are this is why you made the move that you made. So over time, we'll just see how it goes, and hopefully, the Bulls can make a big splash. But before we get out of here, because you know, Ricky, you've been with us for a long time on the on the, on the show. Me we know you we have things to do. Let's talk a little bit briefly about some college hoops. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I I haven't caught up fully with the college hoops as of yet because it is kind of weird that you know this is starting off. Some players haven't been playing because of COVID, you know, things of that stuff. So it's a weird situation right now. But um. One of the players that still, that stood out, you know, in Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga. He's he's supposed to be a top uh, draft pick. They say he injured his leg today. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if he's like was able to get out of, you know, was able to still continue to play. He I came was back. Serious. He came back. Yeah.
2: Okay. It looked really serious. I thought he tore his Achilles. Yeah. Uh, and then he came
0: back. So. Yeah. That. So hopefully he can stay healthy as a top uh, lottery pick because they're saying that this draft class. Uh, upcoming draft class is going to be better than this, uh, the one that we just had. So hopefully, you know, he stays in that t- top lottery pick. And you, you never know, depending on the Bulls, how they do, we may be able to be in that top three, four, five, see if they actually get a good quality player to add to the young uh, group that we got. But for you, Ricky, who really stood out to you so far from a team's perspective from the, uh, within the college hoops game?
2: Yeah, I think Gonzaga's the best team by far. I would definitely pick Gonzaga to win it all. Uh, they got Suggs, like you said, who should be a top 10, maybe top five pick. He's a point guard. He's pretty damn good. He was a, he had an Ohio State offer for quarterback, so he was a really good quarterback too, but he chose to play basketball instead, and yeah, I think he's Terrell Suggs' nephew, if you guys remember Terrell Suggs yeah, from uh, the Ravens, yeah. <laughs> so, I think I think it's his nephew. Uh, Gonzaga's the best team, but, you know, there's a lot of good players around the country, like I'm excited to watch Illinois tonight. They're going to tip off in five minutes against Baylor. Baylor has a very good college team. Like, they don't have a lot of big-name pro guys. They do have one All-American, Jared Butler, like, who could maybe be a first-rounder. We'll see, uh, depending on how good he is this year. But uh, Illinois, I think, is interesting. Like, they haven't been this good since they had Darren Williams and D Brown, probably, right? So, you got a Chicago kid in Io, Dustin mm-hmm. Ho as their star he came back for his junior year I thought he was going to be a one and done and here he is as a junior they got a really good big man in Kofi Coburn and they got another Chicago kid another Morgan Park kid Adam Miller at the two guard he's a lights out shooter absolutely sick three-point shooter I don't really know how much else he can do I guess I'm a little skeptical but I think that he can really shoot so he should help for sure and uh Yeah, they got some good players. They did lose Alan Griffin, Adrian Griffin's son, who I thought was their third best player last year. He transferred to, I believe, Syracuse. So that's a little bit of a loss. But Illinois, uh, they're number five in the polls right now. They're number 19 or 21, I'm sorry, in Ken Palm, which is like the stats rating that I tend to go by. Uh, So I'm not... 100% 100% sold on them. You know who else they have? They have Frank Williams' kid. If you guys remember Frank Williams from 2000. Yeah, Frank
3: Williams was my... I love that dude.
2: Out of Peoria, I mean, he was getting hyped as a top five pick, and then he came back, and he kind of like, his draft stock sort of went down the next year, but they got this kid, uh, Demonte Williams, who's a wing for them. He might even start, I think. So, uh, I want to see him against Baylor. Like, are they actually legit? I don't know but maybe they are they're definitely better than they've been in a long time kind of comes down to you know io and then everyone else too so uh they're gonna be fun locally and then yeah in terms of nba prospects around the country like the best kid is kate cunningham at oklahoma state total stud he reminds me of jimmy butler actually or maybe like luca These are like ridiculous comparisons, obviously. Right,
3: that's so so, different. Ridiculous, ridiculous,
2: ridiculous comparison. So I don't know if he'll ever be that good, but that sort of is the level of, he's going to go number one. Like that's the level of prospect that, you know, I'm just comparing those two guys, like big ball handlers, right? Who can also score, get to the line. So uh, he's really awesome. And then behind him, there's probably like six, seven good looking guys. We'll see how they develop and uh, who actually becomes the number two guy. There's a couple dudes in the G league this year, uh, Jalen green, who was one of the most hyped high school prospects, super mega athlete. Uh, and then Jonathan Kaminga, who was the top rated junior and he reclassified and now he's, you know, in the G league, he's getting to the league a year earlier. I don't really know too much about his game. He's like a six seven. Supposed forward with scoring ability, so I'm interested to see how those guys in the G League are going to do. Uh, and yeah, I'm. Uh, it is weird to have college hoops back, and it feels a little dirty for sure because like the virus is not under control, and these kids are out here. Games are getting canceled. DePaul's got COVID going through the program, so they haven't played a game yet. So it does feel a little weird. Hopefully, everyone can stay safe. College football has obviously had a ton of problems. Uh, if they can stay safe, I've, it's like, it's going to be a fun year sort of just to like dive in and like learn new teams, learn new players. Uh, there's a local angle this year more so than most recent years. So I always love college hoops. It's uh, it's not the NBA. It's a totally different thing, but I always enjoy watching young people play basketball. So I'm happy to have it back.
3: Yeah. A um, couple of things that that I got to add to that for the Missouri Valley. You know, I follow Bradley, as my team. Um, couple transfers out of the Missouri Valley, uh, Liam Robbins, who was a force at Drake, seven foot, could step outside and um, play back to the basket, transferred to Minnesota. He evidently has been injured the first couple weeks of play, but he's the guy to watch. And Javon Freeman-Liberty, who went to Whitney Young and played two years of Valparaiso, transferred to DePaul it sucks that they're having um, cancellations with COVID related cancellations because he's just a flat out ball player. They, uh, Valparaiso was the dark horse. They were the seventh seed and made the uh, conference championship game against Bradley. And they were playing pretty much a five or six man rotation by the time they got to that because they had the Thursday night playing game for anybody who follows college conference tournaments. If you play from Thursday to Sunday, you're running on fumes by then. And he pretty much did everything he could possibly do in that game. And they just didn't have enough left. So he's a really exciting player. Want to see what he does at DePaul because we've been looking, uh, Chicago-wise, we've been looking for DePaul to exceed expectations for the past couple of years since Dave Lato came back and they haven't gotten quite there yet. You know, Seton Hall, went from zero to hero in about the same time when we were waiting for DePaul to make moves. So I wanna, I wanna see, I want eyes to be on Javon Freeman Liberty uh, having watched him the past couple of seasons playing my team. I don't think he'll be an NBA necessary prospect. He might be a guy who comes up from the, from the G League or is a late round pick when he actually enters the draft. But he's a fun guy to watch in terms of basketball. And then just in Missouri Valley, You've got Loyola coming back, um, not necessarily the same, but Porter Moser, who coached at Illinois, um, Illinois State, is a good coach, just, a, just plain and simple, a good coach. So Loyola is always a contender. He was rumored to get the St. John's job two years ago and turned it down to stay at Loyola. So there's a lot of good building blocks in terms of those teams, to, is making it a watchable basketball co- mid-major conference. And of course, Bradley's going to win everything and go to the tournament like they should have last year, and mm-hmm. win the um, win the NCAA tournament. So,
2: how are Bradley and Loyola? What are their looking like? Who are their best players? What do they look like?
3: So you got Elijah Childs, um, a Can- uh, Kansas City product, uh, left-handed stretch four. He, I, he's their best player after. Um, Daryl Brown graduated last year. They had like a uh, spark plug five, nine guy who just would, could score from pretty much anywhere. But Elijah Child is their best player this year. He is not a three-point shooter yet and he's in his senior season. So he's not gonna really be a three-point shooter you'd expect, but he is a good rebounder, good touch, can score at the rim with either hand Uh, the Brown was their coach. He went to Marquette, played with Dwayne Wade a year or two, and he had some trouble coming out of Wisconsin Green Bay for how he ran the program, but he's gotten Bradley back to being what they should be after a few years of turmoil. And then they've got uh, a three-point shooter out of, where is, I think he's from Finland, Ville Tavanainen. Uh, they got a couple of prospects who came in and transferred in, um, Terry Nolan, I just looked this up. I can't remember where he, he redshirted last year and Sean East transferred in from a school out east, I want to say, either that or junior college. So they're always a guard school, going back to like Jim Less and Hersey Hawkins, but Elijah Childs is a good uh, good player in the front court. Loyola's got Cameron Crutwig that went to New Trier. He's like an undersized tank, but he's always at the top of the conference in terms of scoring and rebounding. He's I think he's six nine or six eight playing center in a conference where if you have a six, 10, 11 or seven foot center, you're gonna go places, but he is great. And they have um, their sixth man of the year con- candidate Cooper Capes was out last season and he's playing this year. I think they've had a couple games canceled just due to COVID and then Northern Iowa, who's always one of the, t- the top two or three teams in the conference actually lost their first three in their um, holiday tournament. AJ Green, not related at all to the football player, is their best player. He's probably gonna be in the NBA draft and picked in like the top 20 when he goes in. He's a lights out shooter. So I'm really surprised that UNI is 0-3 to start. They they switched tournaments so that they could play um, because I think a few teams dropped out of the original holiday tournament they were going to be in and then they ended up losing Um, One close game, they lost to, oh, I can't even, I cannot think of which team it was. I know they lost, they played Utah State and lost to them, and they had another quality mid-major team that they took a loss to. So it's going to be between those three once it, once it gets to March, I think Bradley uh, Loyola and you and I, and Bradley was picked third after winning the the conference tournament for the second straight season. So just some fun things to watch.
0: Well, shout out to Bradley because Bradley's in our veins in the family vein. So I got to, you know, so Chris See, knows boy. what's up. Chris See. knows what's up with the Bradley game. And obviously I'm a DePaul blue demon now. So I got to support my blue demons as well, but. Obviously, we got college basketball's back, basketball's back. The NBA's coming, coming back uh, coming back soon uh, with their first games of the season. So it's basketball central. And we're so glad that the NBA, all these basketball games are back. Um, and we'll be paying attention to all these things. Ricky, we thank you for coming on the show, uh, giving us, obviously, your analytical uh, research and input. And, of course, we're glad that we can actually talk positive about the Bulls this time. So now we'll be looking – so hopefully we can have more – more of that take, more of those takes from you as your audience will obviously say. We'll keep, we'll obviously keep to us with the work that you do. Chris, Drew, as always, the Running war, running, running with the War crew, we do a big around here. Uh, continue, keep following War Media and the sites that we got going on. We got, obviously, got all types of podcast work going on for, with the Bears, but of course, with the NBA coming up, you'll always see a lot of stuff, especially from my man, Drew. Hopefully maybe we can get a little something back from Chris regarding the Bulls column that he used to do back in the day. We'll see. But in the meantime, uh, keep bouncing with us. Shout out to Joe Noah, real briefly. You look like you're about to retire. So we hopefully you can retire as a bull and hopefully Rabbit maybe get Drew. a jersey in the re- maybe, exactly, Drew. And maybe he can get himself a job in the front office or something to help bring some, bring some of that uh, Chicago spirit back to the shy, man. We we hope that can happen and maybe he can lure um uh, Anthony Davis back to Chicago but you know we'll see that being said everybody uh I know I know that's tough that's real real tough but he's a Chicago kid that can get us a talent so I'm just hoping we get somebody I hope we just get somebody at this point Mark Eversley do your job at Nike bro you got the Nike connect do your thing um but stay bouncing keep balling But at the end of the day, you know, we're going to do the same over here as we continue to give you the best insight in and out of all things NBA, all things college sports and basketball, especially within Chicago for your Bulls, man. So keep bouncing with us and y'all stay safe.